Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Scripture reading comes from Luke 24, 13 through 25. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they did not find the body there. They came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As I said before, I'm happy to be joining you today, filling in for Michelle while she is out performing a wedding and continuing our sermon series, Jesus the Question. Um, where we were going through so many of these familiar passages rather than thinking of Jesus the answer, but rather what is the question that he is asking us. Today we find ourselves on this passage, the road to Emmaus, which we're stopping short of the usual parts that we often find. Um, the scripture where it's situated and where we've been, this is just after the resurrection that we celebrated a few weeks ago. And just before Jesus appears before his disciples like Michelle just recently preached two weeks ago. And instead, we find ourselves walking in that place between the resurrection and where Christ has revealed himself to his disciples. And he asks these questions of them. Often when we 
here this sermon we uh, just beyond this is the famous passage where in the road to Emmaus he sits and stays eats with them breaks bread and remembrance of communion and their eyes are opened and they speak a famous verse especially in the Wesleyan tradition where our hearts not strangely warmed uh, one that Wesley found as the moment of his own conversion but we are starting a little bit for that focusing on this question what things where we find ourselves is we, these two disciples, Cleopas and another disciple, leaving Jerusalem. We know at the very least that they are sad, but we don't see what other state they might find themselves, perhaps in fear and confusion. We don't know why they're going to Emmaus. Perhaps this is their home. Perhaps there are more disciples there, or perhaps they're fleeing all the turmoil that they find in Jerusalem. But as that time, we have the appearance of but I sometimes think of this mysterious traveling Jesus, where Jesus seems to pop in and out of the story, but not yet revealed as who he is, where they can't see who he is. And when his first question that we see in the text seems innocent enough, just an introductory question, what are you talking about as you walk along here? A nice way to get yourself into the conversation of a group you might not know. But that's enough to make the disciples incredulous. They ask him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know what's going on? Have you not been paying attention? Have you been living under a rock the past three days? And Jesus and continues, almost in this feigned innocence, what, what things, what things are you talking about? Now, it's hard not to read this question and think in these days of the internet that internet, what we might call uh, Jesus is trolling them a little bit. This feigned innocence that's directly meant to stir the pot and provoke a reaction. And sure enough, the disciples are aghast about what's happening, but not only that, but how could you even ask? What do you mean, what things? We're speaking of Jesus, the Christ a prophet mighty in word and in deed. He's performed all kinds of miracles. He's turned the city upside down. We thought he was the one who would redeem Israel. He's the one that we were hanging all of our hopes and our dreams. And instead, we found him hanging on a tree. What could you mean, what things? And of course, in Jesus, classic Jesus fashion, he immediately responds, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Again, such a nice thing for Jesus to do. First, he asks that simple question, provoke the reaction out of them, pretending to have this ignorance, and then immediately turning that around on them. How foolish, so slow of heart. Next question he asks, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter the glory? And it says, just beyond that, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, the things about himself in all the scriptures. This is a common thing we see throughout the entirety of the gospels, that something that is laid out clearly in front of the disciples, and they just don't get it. And Jesus responding, how foolish, slow of heart you are to believe. So today, briefly, uh, I won't go through Moses and all the prophets, but let's just do a speed read for the book of Luke and just see all the ways Jesus was just setting up these things, these conflict, this death and suffering that he would come to and see if we can tease out just what might be happening. 
From the very beginning, we start in chapters 1 and 2, the birth of Jesus. And right at the beginning, his first presentation of the temple, he appears, Simeon, one of the faithful followers in the temple, comes and blesses him and says, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Right from his first presentation, we already see there is a conflict coming between him and everything we know, everything and how it is run by the teachers of the law and the religion at the time. The next chapter in chapter 3, we see the ministry of John who's preparing and paving the way for Jesus. And he's a little less subtle when confronted with the Pharisees. He speaks out against them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And we can see how that turns out to him fairly quickly. Spoiler alert, he gets his head chopped off, right? But again, setting up this conflict and the reaction that would be coming against it. In the next chapter, chapter 4, we find Jesus in his ministry debut in Nazareth, his hometown, where he opens the words of the prophets and speaks these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, all wonderful and amazing things. And then drops the bombshell. These scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. You remember what comes after that? His first sermon in public, and the crowd is outraged. They grab him, they drag him to the cliff, and are ready to throw him off. But at that time, he just, mysterious traveling, Jesus passes right through the crowd. It wasn't time yet, but we see what's coming. The next few chapters, chapters 5 through 8, filled with stories of him healing, preaching the good news, healing people with leprosy, paralysis, casting out demons, preaching some of his most famous passages, the Sermon on the Mount, all the while challenged by the religious authorities. Who said, whose authority are you doing this? Who said you could heal on the Sabbath? Who said you could eat and sit with these people? All the same time, Jesus pushing back. When we come to chapter 9, we have a moment where Jesus is sitting in private with his disciples and he asks, who do you say I am? A familiar question to us. And we're, here we have Peter's famous confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. And Jesus immediately tells them, keep this secret. But again, lets them know, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed on the third day and be raised. Again, right here, sounds familiar. What Cleopas and his disciples said, Jesus is literally telling them right then, this is what's coming. Quite interestingly, it's followed immediately by a verse that we love to preach metaphorically. It says, if anyone wished to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Interesting. Soon after this, though, our next point in the story Jesus really drives this home in the story of the transfiguration, confirming Peter's confession, where Jesus appears in glory and the prophets appear with him, Moses and Elijah. And it says what they are speaking about was all he was to fulfill in Jerusalem. Soon after, again, end of that chapter, a second time he tells them, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. And to give the disciples a little credit, the scripture at least tells us, but they did not understand this saying. Its meaning remained concealed from them, so they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. 
So even though we see this common theme of disciples just not getting it, we'll give him a little, a little slack this time, as the author does. He continues on from here, continuing his ministry with signs and wonders and commissioning 72 disciples, sending them out among the villages to proclaim his kingdom. And soon, in chapter 12, this leads to a direct confrontation with the Pharisees, in which he repeats similar of John's rhetoric, declaring what we often call the six woes. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed sepulchers, which is my favorite invective in the scriptures. The appearance of holiness on the outside, but inside of old bones. And it says very clearly, after that, the Pharisees begin to plot. How might they kill him? After that, chapter 13, he's told, not just the Pharisees, Herod wants to kill you. And again, Jesus, abandoning all subtlety, says, that sly old fox, not as good as whitewashed sepulcher, but still pretty good. And then he turns to Jerusalem, and he weeps for it, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. But from this point on, everything is fixed towards Christ heading towards Jerusalem for all that he will come to fulfill. We see the next few chapters of continued ministry, parables, and healings. And then in chapter 18, you might even see a little chapter breaks in your, your Bible when you read it. A third time, Jesus predicts his death, that trio of completion, telling them, taking them aside, saying, look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. After they flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp it. What things? What things? They could not yet understand them. And from chapter 19 onward, we find Jesus in Jerusalem performing all these things that Cleopas and the disciple are discussing, all that they are remembering in this fraught road to Emmaus. Starting with the triumphal entry in chapter 19 with the crowd singing Hosanna and Jesus going straight to the temple and cleansing it, violently overthrowing temple, uh, tables and throwing out moneylenders. In chapter 20, we see confrontations with the Pharisees and Sadducees, now with them trying to trick him, trip him up with difficult questions in the scriptures and instead being summarily schooled on the law to the delight of the crowd further deepening this enmity between them. In chapter 21, we hear Jesus speaking now, again, of signs of the apocalypse, of cataclysm, of the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, often ways that he refers not just to that physical place that they were, but his own body and what would to come. Next, we move on to the Last Supper, taken, where he tells them directly, I wish to take this meal with you before I suffer, breaking bread to them together. Again, that imagery that is soon evoked again at the conclusion of the road to Emmaus. Following this, the prayer on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is crying out to God in anticipation of his coming suffering. Before he is then betrayed by his own, arrested, disowned by his own, beaten by those that have arrested him. Appearing then in the next chapter before the council of the chief priests, then the council before the trial before Pilate, and then the trial before Herod, before he is finally sentenced to death, crucified between two criminals after carrying his cross up a road to Golgotha. We see then further cataclysm, the darkness 
that comes with Jesus' death, the temple curtain that is torn until finally he is taken, buried, laid in a tomb behind the stone. After that, we come to the next point in the story, which we celebrated just a few weeks ago, the resurrection of Christ. And again, when the women come to the tomb and they look for him, they are instead told, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has been risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on that third day rise again. And then finally, it says, they remembered his words. For the first time, somebody actually gets it. The women there at the tomb. And when they run back to the disciples, what do the disciples say? Peter even runs, looks in the tomb for himself. So next step, we find ourselves again on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples walking along. One of them, Cleopas, in his only scripture appearance and gets named, and he gets to stand in for Peter as ignoramus number one. Clearly not understanding what things, what things have just happened. He knew the what, he knew the when, he knew the how. He still under, didn't understand the why. He barely understood the what until Christ came along to read the rest of the story from where we stopped in the scripture. It says, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Soon after, they came back to Jerusalem to find the eleven, their companions, saying, The Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Soon after this, we will break bread together at the table of the Lord. And right now, I want us to think, to ask, what things? It seems a simple question and seems a silly question with everything that is going on at any time. It could be just asking what things about these stories and our events that are so familiar to us in scripture but have become so commonplace we forget even what they mean. It might seem preposterous in the event of all of the turmoil of everything that is going on. And like the disciples, it is so easy to look around at everything that is happening in the world, that violence and pandemic and political unrest and turmoil and the continued abuse of power of the rich getting richer, of the poor getting poorer, of all the suffering that goes on and not see, not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear what is going on around us in the work of Christ. To see all these things at church, at home, abroad and just not know and not know what to make sense of them until we have Jesus questioning in, in our ear, what things, making us re-examine them, until we come together, break bread together, the body of the crucified Christ, so that our eyes might be opened to see the resurrected God walking among us. 
Let us pray. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we are like Cleopas and the other disciple, walking along confused or frightened or perhaps just not getting the work that you are doing in the world, seeing only the pain, the misery, the death, destruction, not seeing the work you have so clearly stated you are doing in the world around us, that you are doing even at times through us. Pray, Lord, today as we gather together, that our eyes would be opened, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, all that you are doing in our lives, all that you are doing in our world, that we would be part of it, that we would run back to those around us and proclaim, we have seen the Christ and he has been raised. And so together we pray as you taught our disciple, your disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Table of the Lord. There is peace at the table.